0: Without further ado, I'm just going to announce Eric's got a Devo for us, so he's going to come up and share his Devo, what the Lord has spoken to him, and um, I hope you guys are blessed, so please welcome Eric. Well, thank you for uh, showing up tonight.
1: I'm really, uh, it's a pleasure to be here at the Upper Room. Every time I'm here, every week, and I see the same smiling faces every single week, and it's a good thing. But I wanted to come here tonight because what I wanted to do is to put out a challenge in a sense to everyone in here. All of us are Christian. Some of you may not be. But what I want to do is is challenge you guys to do something that you may have never done, may have hardly done, or you may think that what you're doing is kind of like this, but it's really not. That will kind of make sense in a minute. But... One of the things I wanted to do was to look at a passage of Scripture that's very important. It's found in Exodus chapter 34. It's a famous story. I'm sure everyone has heard it. It's where Moses goes up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he receives the Ten Commandments of God the second time, because the first time he went up there and he came down and saw the, uh, the sin of the people and had broken the tablets, so he had to go back up and get them again. So that's kind of what we see here. Moses, in, Ch- in Exodus chapter 34, he's about to go up to the mountain of the Lord. The Lord speaks to him and says to Moses, Cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones, speaking of the two uh, former tablets that the old Ten Commandments were written on. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets which you shattered. So we see that Moses, and we understand that Moses had shattered the original tablets. But one of the things that we may not understand is those tablets were shattered because of sin, because of the sin of the people, even Moses being angry, shattering the tablets. And one of the things that is important for us, when we seek to go commune with God and have fellowship with God, we need to come with the tablets of our heart so that he can renew the tablets of our heart every time we meet with him. That's what he was doing with Moses. He was renewing the tablets. He was renewing. It was the same commandments, but he was writing them again so he would know. So the people would have this. So the people would have the law. The people would have direction as well. And that's one of the things that Moses had done. He had gone up to the mountain to receive direction from the Lord. To be renewed. So the tablets could be renewed. Which is one of the things that we need to always remember when communion with God, when going up to the mountain, which that is the challenge to everyone, to myself, is to go up to the mountain and commune with God like Moses did of old. not saying go to your room for five minutes and say a basic prayer and then go to sleep. No, I'm talking about serious fellowship with God, where you go up there to seek the face of the Lord like Moses had done, See, a mountain is very famous in Scripture for many different things. Elijah had the fire come down from Mount Carmel. Jesus oftentimes would go up to a mountain and pray. It's actually interesting to think about that. Jesus actually spent more time praying than he did sleeping. He spent more time in fellowship with God than he did sleeping. And with Moses, going up to the mountain was to be renewed, had the Ten Commandments renewed, which is one of the reasons we must go up. Another one of the reasons to go up is, again, like I said, to have fellowship with the Lord. Because down here, we're so used to the way we have it here. We're so used to our comfortable lifestyle. And so we often forget what it's like to have solid fellowship with God. We forget because we're so wrapped up in what we do. And we often forget it many, many times. But Moses went up. He ascended to the Lord. To get away from everything. Now in Exodus 33, which is the chapter before, we see Moses oftentimes go to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp of Jerusalem. It was far away from people where Moses would go and commune with the Lord. Now, what that communicates to us is that our communion with God is somewhere separate from everyone else. When Moses went up to the mountain in Exodus 34... God commanded him in verses 3 and 4 to make sure that nobody else comes with him to make sure nobody else stands even at the base of the mountain. That's how serious it was. Nobody else. See, when you go to fellowship with God and when you go to pray with God, you don't you and your best friend can't pray about your personal life, your life with God. No, no, no. It's only you. And that's why you must go up to the mountain. You must have fellowship with God and you must separate yourself from your friends, from your lifestyle, in the sense to really receive from God upon your hearts, upon your tablets like he was doing with Moses. We also see in verse 2, so be ready by morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. Early in the morning. Early in the morning, Jesus would go out and pray. Early in the morning, Moses was to go up to the mountain. The beginning of the day. The first fruits of the day. You often hear that expression in Scripture. The first fruits give unto God. What were the first fruits? Well, the first fruits of the, the harvest, the vegetables, the fruits. The first fruits were the firstborn of all the flock. The Hebrew people saw it as sacred. They saw it as God's possession, something of God's. And Moses, in the beginning, the first fruits of his day was to go and seek the Lord. At the very beginning, a lot of times we often say, Oh, well, I'll hang out with God tonight. I kind of want to sleep in a little bit more. Uh, Maybe I'll go to the gym. Or, you know, I I really like, you know, this television show and I'm going to watch that and I'll do it later. But we see that not even Moses, or Jesus for that matter, did that. Of course, they didn't have TVs back then. But the point is in saying that he didn't wait until the end of the night. The first thing, very first in the morning, he went up to see him. That's a reason for us to go up, to commune with God, to be there early in the morning so we can receive that direction from God as to how he desires us to live our day. Another reason why Moses went up when we continue on. As I mentioned earlier, no man can come up with you, nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of that mountain. So he cut two stone stone tablets like the former ones, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him. And he took two, two stone tablets with him. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him. As he called upon the name of the Lord. See, when Moses went up to God, God descended to him. God came to meet with him. Hebrews tells us too that we can come boldly to the throne. If you draw near to him, I will draw near to you like James 4 says. That's what the Lord was doing. Because the Lord knew that Moses was coming up to him. So he was going to go to him. And we see later on, we see God speaking He says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and on the grandchildren and the third and fourth generations. Verse 8 Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and to worship. He worshiped because. He understood who God was. That's one of the things that we get when we read our Bibles and when we fellowship with God. We get an understanding of who God is. We understand it a lot better, and we have it in our hearts and in our minds of who God is. And our response to that is worship. Because when we recognize who God is, And how holy he is and how gracious he is. And when we start to see that move in our lives, our only response is worship. It's funny, I remember a friend of mine said just the other day that when you recognize who God is and all God has done for us, how can you not but worship him? I thought that was just a great statement. How can you not but worship him when you recognize everything that he is? That's what he recognized. That's what Moses had done. He recognized who God was. That's one of the reasons why we need to go up and fellowship with God. We need to get out of our comfortable lifestyle and really seek the face of the Lord like Moses had done, like Jesus had done. Because when we're up there, we're going to see things in a different way. When we're up there, we're going to be able to look down and and see our lifestyle, see our life as it was. It gets so clouded when it's down here. We get so clouded with with the sin of this world. I mean, we have to face it. We live in a fallen generation and quickly, day by day, America itself is forgetting about how America came to be. It's forgetting everything about the Lord and it's switching its morals for things that are not what God has said. Every day now, it's, it's, it's a shame if you speak out against homosexuality. Shame on you. But... We know that that's not right. We know that God has said otherwise. But a lot of times, even people who say they are Christian won't even agree. They'll want to be more like the world and be accepted by them. It's distorted reality because they're not spending time with God like Moses had did. They're not communing with God as Moses had did. So the challenge is to commune with God upon the mountain. The challenge is to Spend time with the Lord. Even go for a walk. I know Josh and, and Robert Hill, who's, a, who's another gentleman that, that comes here a lot. Um, I'm sure a lot of you guys know who Robert Hill is. He tells me, "Yeah, Sundays are my day to walk with the Lord. So he goes on walks. Josh spends time early in the morning to seek the Lord. It's something that we're not used to. Something that we need to get used to. Because it's at that time when we're at the top of the mountain, when we're communing with God, that we see things how God sees it. We recognize who God is, and we quickly recognize who we are. Like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. That's what we recognize. We recognize who we are in the face of God. And we respond to the fact that we are even able to commune with God by worship. By obeying God. When He renews our hearts that has been distorted by sin, like the former commandments had done, we obey Him because He changes our heart to do so. And it's important because it's important to go out and to meet with the Lord, not to stay here. It's so comfortable here, it's so nice, it's so cozy. Uh, It's it's a point to go out where the Lord is out. See, Jesus was crucified and died outside of Jerusalem. God is outside of where it's comfortable and he's saying come up here. This is where I am. I'm not I'm not in the midst of there with with the wickedness of this world. I'm here. Come out here. Be different. Be separate saith the Lord. And when we go up to the mountain we see that. We don't want to. We want to stay where we are. But when we go up there, we are renewed. We have fellowship with God. We recognize our sinfulness and are quick to come to repentance like Moses did, not only for himself, but for the people of Israel. And when we come down from the mountain, our face is shining like Moses. Because we had been spending time with the Lord And now we recognize who the Lord is. We recognize that better. We recognize what God has done for us. We recognize more and more what Jesus Christ had done for us, what God has done through Jesus Christ. And so we come down from the mountain with our face shining, ready just to proclaim Jesus ready because we know oh, I have fellowship with my God. Yes, it's tough to go up to the mountain, it's hard there's rocks along the way you want to go back to where it's comfortable you want to go home and watch the office and you want to do all this kind of stuff but it's when you're with the lord that you are renewed it's when you're with the lord that you see things the way he sees it it's when you're with the lord that you have a better understanding of who god is and so that's what i challenge you tonight you know maybe you're used to five minute prayers before you go to sleep Maybe you're used to spending time with God on your own time. Well, recognize what God had done for you by sending Jesus Christ to save you when none of us in this room or none of us in this world even deserve it. And you can't wake up a half hour early. You can't go on a walk with the Lord. You can't open up your Bibles and actually study the scriptures. After all of that, don't let sin distort our thinking and our mindset and our hearts. Because then we'll start to see God the way the world does. And we will forget what God has called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. But it's something you guys have to do. See, the sanctification process is cooperative, God does something and you do something. So you must have fellowship with God like you've never had before because I promise you like Moses that one God will draw near to you that's what his word says and we can hold God to his promises God is going to change your heart and renew your heart cleanse you when you come to repentance God is going to make you see your life how you live it and show you how he wants you to live it and you're going to come down with your face shining like Moses people are going to wonder What's that? What's that about? Why is he shining? Why is this person different? How come, how come he's different from the world? Why does he have joy in trials? Well, what's this all about? It's because of our treasure Christ. I remember the other night, and I'll, I'll finish with this. I was working out with a friend of mine and and uh, we had encountered a, uh, someone who was just, it's oh, kind of like a weird guy. I mean, it was kind of like, uh, just a, just like weird. And he was, he was witnessing some people, but he was saying things that were totally inappropriate that he shouldn't have said. And I remember my friend, it's Aaron Adame, in case you were wondering. He said, people need to look at us and think that we're weird. Not because we're weird, but because we're different from them. Not because we're like them. Not because we're obnoxious. They need to look at us and see that we're different because we have this unspeakable joy. Because we have this weird glow about us and it's because of the fellowship with God that we have. So examine tonight Examine because it's important because when you come down, you're different, you're changed and you're ready to live this life for Jesus more than you ever have before. You're ready to be different. You're ready to be on fire for the Lord or shining for the Lord. And it's something that we need because we're lacking. Christianity is lacking Christians are serious, who will stand up in the face of abortion, who will stand up in the face of homosexuality, who will stand up in the face of truth is relative it doesn't matter what you believe in but when we have time with God we know what is right because God has told us and there's a necessity for men and women to be different there's a necessity for men and women to have fellowship with God, to commune with God and I'm going to end with this quote It says, Where are the young men and women of this generation who will hold their lives cheap and be faithful even unto death, who will lose their lives for Christ, flinging them away for love of Him? Where are those who will live dangerously and be reckless in this service? Where are the men of prayer? Where are the men and women who count God's word of more importance than their daily food? Where are the men who, like Moses of old, commune with God face to face? As a man speaks with his friend. Where are God's men and women in this day of God's power? If we believe God is powerful and can change mighty things, changes people's hearts. He changed your heart, he changed mine. Well, we need to go to him and seek what our next step is. We need to go to him and be changed, be renewed, have fellowship with God, to worship God. He's not here. He's not, He's not in the world. He's on top of the mountain. He's outside of this world. So think about that tonight. Think about the time you spend with God. Think about the Bible reading that you have. Is it is just a verse a day? Yeah, that can be good. But serious study, do you do that? you got to be different. It's time to be different. It's time to be changed. It's time not to be like everybody else, but to be different. So we can shine the light of Christ because he was different. He was different for a reason. And if we believe that, if we believe Christ and treasure Christ in our hearts, we will be different for a reason. All you got to do is go up to the mountain and seek the Lord. So tonight, as Brian brings the word, I want us to be focused on what the prophet Jeremiah has to say to us, on what God has to speak to us, and just think about really that quote, but think about the chapter. Think about what Moses had done. and Think about what things you may be lacking in. So let's pray. And Father, we just thank you so much, God, that you are a gracious God to even allow us to come up to you you allow us to have communion with you because of what you did through your son, Jesus Christ, whom we exalt tonight. We lift up, God, and we worship. Father, I pray that tonight everything would be glorifying to you. pray you anoint Brian, God, and you would give him words to say, Father, from your word. That everything that he does and everything that we do from this moment on will be lived to bring honor and glory to you. I pray, Father, that we all would go up to the mountain and commune with you like we do with our friends. Because you are our best friend. For those hearts who are distant, God, I pray that you will pull them closer to you. You would make real to them your presence, Father. Through your word tonight, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. What a great word. Uh, some, Some points in that I picked up was... Spending time with God, waking up early, um, devoting yourself to God. And these are essential things to the Christian life that we all must have daily. If you don't have neither or not one of these things that Eric was pointing out, then you have nothing. You have no power. You have no fruit. You don't have anything in your life but Jesus in your heart. And is is that good enough for you? Like, Is that all you want? Is that is that all you want in this life is just Jesus to be in my heart and that's it? Like the whole purpose of this Christian life is to glorify God. That's the whole purpose. It's not to glorify yourself. It's not to make yourself known. It's not to be a great theologian. It's not to go out and always duke it out with people in theology or argue with people, it's to make Christ known through yourself. He's given that. I <clears throat> One thing I always tell myself is, how am I representing Christ? How am I representing Christ? Am I re- representing Him in the right way or the wrong way? When I go and I, and I pay for food or when I go and I shop, am I being kind to others? Am I loving them or am I just being this little brat, this jerk, or this this guy that just doesn't care. How do you represent Christ? And one thing one thing I want to let you guys know is the more you spend time with Christ, the more you spend time in the Word of God, it's going to definitely transform you. You're going to see, people are going to see Christ without you even knowing it. I wake up at 3 o'clock every single day. Every morning, 3 in the morning, I go to work at 4 at the church. But it's great. I went from a lifestyle of waking up at 9, 10, 12. it's just, you just wasted your day. That's it. You just wasted it. But now, since I've, you know, been blessed with this job at the church and I wake up early, it, it really, it's really great. I have more time in my day. I get to spend time with Christ early in the morning as I'm driving as i'm working it's it's like it's pitch black it's there's no noise no one has woken up yet nothing it's just you and god and i do that every day and i'm always refreshed every day i'm just like i'm always haywire and ready to go nuts you know go nuts for god and so man do that moses woke up early jesus woke up early if you if you notice Two weeks ago, we just watched The Passion of the Christ. How many of you guys watched The Passion on Easter? Yeah, a lot of us. And do you remember that very first scene? Jesus, early in the morning, in the Garden of Gethsemane, just praying it up, getting refreshed, getting filled. Because he knew the task that he had to go and accomplish. And in the same way, that was... That, that was an example for us to wake up early in the morning, to be refreshed, to be filled, and prepare our tasks for the day as well. And so, man, take heed to those words. Those are great words. And about the mountain, spending time alone with God, man, that's the best. Today I went and ran a mile um, right when I got home from the gym and I'm I'm outside. And that's where I spend time with Christ, when I can actually just go and go away. Just forget about it. I'm out of here. I'm out of the house. I'm out of everything. I'm just going to go, and I'm just going to run, and I'm just going to spend time with God. You don't have to actually have a mountain. It's the alone time that you need with God. And so if those of you out there that do not set aside a time to spend time with God then what's your what's whats what's your life worth what's what's the point of your life if you don't even commune with god it's worth nothing you don't get anything for the day you don't get to be refilled you don't get to see the joy of the Lord you don't get to experience the joy of your salvation you don't get to experience the love of God if you're not communing with God and so <clears throat> Again, take heed to those words. Those are very important words. Because the more you do these essential little things in your life, the more Jesus gets glorified through your life. The more you spend time with God, the more you spend time with Jesus and hanging out in fellowship, the more Jesus is glorified through your life. Because that's the only person that's going to show it's like me and josh we spend, we spend a ton of time together i mean i've known him for over twelve years, and i i've seen it in my life because I used to be so shy and just like pretty much you can call me a nerd that's what I was you know I, I really liked math and i didn't I didn't wow. want to do anything else, and I didn't have any friends except just a few people here and there, and nothing else, but the more I spent time with him, the more i opened up and I kind of adopted his personality. But in the same same way, we're still different. But almost we have some characteristics that are the same. But in the same sense, with you and God, the more you adapt to God, man, the more you're going to be like Jesus. The more you're going to be full of joy and full of kindness and full of love. And that's the Christian life. Don't let the other Christians that are outside... It's cool. It, it was funny. I was watching this YouTube clip of this guy just going nuts. He's just yelling outside. He's just, oh, you're all sinners. You, you're going to hell. You're this. You're that. Oh, oh, really? And, and this guy is just flipping out, going nuts on the people. And what do people see? How do people look upon this man as a wacko? Do you see Jesus in that? I don't. Jesus is not the type to yell and scream and tell everyone they're going to hell. Jesus is the type that says, I love you. He's the type that gives love. He's the type that rejoices in all good things. That's our Jesus. And so, again, represent Christ correctly. Very important. Spend time with him, represent him correctly, and you will be blessed. But tonight we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 14, so if you can all turn there. (coughs) Jeremiah 14. This is pretty much prophecy. Jeremiah is prophesying to the tribe of Judah. These wicked people, geez, they just, they just, they're just wicked. And so, Jeremiah here is speaking, is God entering, or God speaking to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah speaking the words of God to these people. So, without further ado, let's pray, and let's jump right in. Father, I just pray that you would, Lord, please give me your spirit, anoint me with the words to speak. Um, I pray that none of these words would be of my own, but every single bit would be of yours, and that you would be glorified, Lord. And so, Father, please speak to each one of these in a way they would understand, and in a way that they would see Jesus and know him more each and every single time they read their Bibles. And so, I thank you, Lord, and I pray that your will would be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. So here's the word of the Lord coming to Jeremiah. That's what it starts off with. The word of the Lord coming to Jeremiah. So these words are going to be you're going to see you're going to see a variety of Jeremiah praying to God, you're going to see God speaking to Jeremiah to tell Jeremiah what to say. And so you're going to see this going back and forth. And at the end, you're going to see the people pleading for God's mercy. So, verse 2. Judah mourns and her gates languish. They mourn for the land and the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. Judah mourns and her gates languish right here the word the the gates right here it's talking about a place of a of, of public con- concourse pretty much meaning this is a place where uh where it, it's like an open area it's it's a place where mourners go when there's a famine coming or there's a drought coming. They just come to this gate, this open area, this open circle just to mourn and cry because they're left with nothing. They they can't what are they gonna do at home? So they come to this place so that way people would see maybe those that might have food or water may bless them somehow. So they come to this public arena to just cry because of the famine that's going on and going on on verse 2 it says or verse 3 excuse me their nobles have sent their lads for water they went to the c- or the cisterns and found no water they returned with their vessels empty they were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads verse 4 because the ground is parched for there was no rain in the land the plowmen were ashamed they covered their heads. So here in verse 3 and 4, it talks about how the lads and the plowmen covering their heads. That's the one thing that I got from this. They're covering their heads. The, the, the noble sends out his lad to go get some water, but there was no water because there's a drought. And here's the plowman ready. A plowman's pretty much a farmer ready to do his work in his garden. But yet, the ground is dried because there's no water. And here, it talks about covering their heads. And I was like, well, that's interesting because both verses talks about covering their heads. So I went and looked it up, and in the Greek, there's two words for heads. One's called kafale, K-A-P-H-A-L-E. I know I probably butchered it. And the other is called... Kafaliu K E P H A P H A L I double o Kafale means a metaphor for head. So we hear the terms head of the house or uh, a boss, the head. That's the boss. That's the metaphor term for kefale. Now, the other term for kefaliu is a literal term. M- actual meaning is your head the head that's on your neck it's a literal term so in a sense Ephesians 4:15 talks about Christ being the head he is the boss but the word kephalē, the literal term for head is only used once in scripture and it's in Mark chapter 12 verse 4 being used as a man, uh, some guy gets hit on his head and is wounded on his head. So that's the only time in scripture that it's actually used as that literal term. I looked through. I I was like researching it. I wanted to get it right, and so that's what came out. And so, if I'm wrong, then my I guess my research was bombed. But I, I looked through thick and thin. And those are the terms of the heads. One meaning the actual literal term head, and the other is the metaphor term of the head of the house, the boss. Um, I want to jump over real fast. I'll read it to you, but it's in 1 Corinthians 11.3. And it says this. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every... Of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So in this scripture, it talks about God being the head, being the almighty head, being the God. And we need to recognize and remember this. God is not, yes, he's our best friend, but yes, we need to give reverence to our best friend. He's just not like, he's just not that type of person. You just walk around and just, Oh, hey, God, how's it going, man? You're doing great. He's not that kickback guy, though he can be in your prayers. But when you start off with a prayer or going into the throne of God, it always needs to be with reverence, with a respect in your heart towards the living God that can smoke you off the face of the earth. You see? That's how powerful God is. He can flick you off the face of the earth With no hands. That was a joke. (laughs) But But it's so true. God can do that. He is almighty. He is holy. But he's a loving and gracious God at the same time. So don't take advantage of God. Just, hey, he's my buddy. No, he's your God. And he's the God that you should come before his throne with your face down even. And say, man, Lord, you are almighty. You are God. I know that you can wipe me off if you want it. I know that I don't deserve heaven or the gift of your salvation, but yet you still give it to me. And I'm so thankful. That's the kind of God that we should be praying and acting for. So moving on to verse 5 and 6. Yes, the deer also gave birth in the field but left because there was no grass and the wild donkeys stood in the desolate heights they sniff at the wind with like jackals their eyes failed because there was no grass so here remember there's a drought going on the animals in this time had no food to eat even even when the even when it, it talks about um the let me see. It talks about the deer giving birth and left the baby because there was no food. There's nothing. There's nothing that that deer can do. And you got to remember, during this time, if there was, if animals couldn't eat or drink or do anything, then that means the people couldn't eat or drink or do anything. This is hard times for them. This this is just Horrible. Imagine if Southern California had a famine and we couldn't get food. We would all starve in like pretty much a day because we're so used to eating. We're so used to it. We can, we can go out to the fast food places and buy food any time of the day. We can go to the groceries and pick out vegetables and food anytime. Did you know like people in India and Africa, they got to walk miles Hours, day and night, just to get food, just to get even water. But yet, here we are, spoiled Americans. We get to go to a grocery store, and, oh, I'll take that. Then that's it. Easy. So don't take these things for granted. Don't. Moving on. Verses 7 to 9. This is where Jeremiah prays. Right? Re- From verses 2 to 6, Jeremiah prophesies. Now from 7 to 9, this is where Jeremiah prays. And he says, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. O the hope of Israel, his Savior in time of trouble, Why should you be like a stranger in the land, and like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man astonished, like a mighty one who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in our midst, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. So here, Jeremiah is praying for the people. Because remember, the tribe of Judah is going through, right now they're just sinning. They're unrepented, they're sinning with the knowledge of their Their God is there, but they don't care, they're still doing it. And so Jeremiah comes on behalf of the tribe of Judah and prays for them. Jeremiah confesses Judah's guilt and reminds God of his reputation and how it's tied up with whatever happens to his people. Here, it says it right there, it says in verse In verse nine, why should you be like a man astonished, like a mighty one who cannot save? Jeremiah is saying, God, why are you why are you being like a man that can't save? You can save. Why are you doing that? And then he goes on, yet, O Lord, yet you, O Lord, are in our midst. I know you're in the midst. I know you are, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. So Jeremiah is is telling God. Of who he is, you're not you're not a man that can't save, you're God, you can save. We're your people. Don't you remember? We're your people and and here Jeremiah is just really going on behalf of the people, really crying out to them, crying out to God for them and and Jeremiah's trying to get the people out of this mess. Because he knows the sin. And he doesn't want to see this famine come into play. He doesn't want to to see all this prophecy that God is giving him come to pass. Because if it does, it's over for them. They're going to be bummed out. They're going to be sad. And Jeremiah's heart was just so for them. He loved them so much. We all need to be like Jeremiah's. We all need to love. We all need to pray for our our friends that are in the world and that are sinning. He lays a great example here. Jeremiah is going to God, reminding God of who he is and what he is able to do, and pleading for these people because that's how much he loves. And as I'm driving down with April, it's like... I. I for some reason I'm driving down and I'm I'm reviewing my message and it seems like Jeremiah has the heart of God just really pleading just really wanting these people to come to know him to repent of their sin because us human beings man we we don't do that we don't we don't want to go and love people or pray for people we want to do things our ways in our own selfish needs. But here, not Jeremiah, he goes on behalf of the people and pleads to God for the people so that they would not go and go through this trial and be bummed out and be sad. Man, I wish I had that heart. Cuz seriously, I don't. Sometimes I'm just like I'm I'm like hard as stone. And I I don't want to pray for anyone. It's like you wrong me? Cool. We're not talking anymore. That's cool. But man, this message just nailed me. It just really did. And so, if you gain anything, gain this. Jeremiah was a was the weeping prophet. And the reason why was because he loved his people so much. That's why he was the weeping prophet. Versus or 10 or verse 10 Thus says the Lord to this people Here's God speaking now God's respond to that prayer Thus they have loved to wander They have not restrained their feet Therefore the Lord does not accept them He will remember their iniquities now and punish their sins Did you hear that? God or God just pretty much said it. Hey, these people love to wander. They love their sin. They're not willing to change. They love it too much. Judah loved their sin so much that they were not willing to repent. Jeremiah 7:18 gives you it gives you an example of how of why Judah is like this why they won't, why, why, what they're doing, and why they won't repent. And it says in verse, in verse 7 to 18 in Jeremiah, it says, The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Wow, you see that? They did all that on purpose to God. They wanted to provoke God. They wanted to make him mad. They wanted to pretty much do their own thing. They were sacrificing all these things to other gods. Baking cakes and stuff to this queen. Get real. Do did you, did you see that's, that's the heart of the tribe of Judah right now. That's their heart. They don't want anything to do with God. But when it comes times and trials, oh, what happens? They come back to God. They come crying back to God, oh, forgive us of our iniquities. You've seen that through from, from the middle of, well, not the middle, but from gen, like, um, late, in, late Genesis all the way till now. It's, it's back and forth. It's a big game. And that shows their heart right there in Jeremiah 7, 18. They don't give a rip for God. And so God replies back and says, okay, well, I'm not going to hear your prayer. I can't. Sometimes there needs to be discipline. If we move on on the next verse, it's going to explain a lot more. So verse 11. The Lord said to me, do not pray for this people for their good. Straight up. God telling Jeremiah not to pray for these people anymore. In Jeremiah eleven fourteen, it says the same exact thing. So do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them on the, on the time that, that they cry out to me because of their troubles. This happened again already in verse 11. We're in verse 14 now. God God already told Jeremiah not to pray for these people. But you see the heart of Jeremiah? Three chapters later, he's still praying for these people. What a wonderful heart. And moving on in verse 12. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. God will not hear their cry because of their unrepented heart. Psalm sixty-six eighteen says this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I regard iniquity within my own heart, The Lord will not hear. Meaning, if you choosing, wanting to sin, God's not going to hear you. I feel bad for all those lukewarm Christians, man. I feel so bad. Here they have a God, just like the tribe of Judah, that loves them. And in the same sense, these lukewarm Christians, here they have a God that's willing to give them His Son, so that way they can go to heaven, but yet they want to sin because it's a lot better than God. Isn't that sad? God is willing to give everything to these people, but yet these people were not willing to accept. That's a bummer. I feel bad for these people. I feel bad for lukewarm Christians. I feel so bad for them. Because they're wasting their life. Remember in Revelation, God is just going to spit them out. And if you're a lukewarm Christian in here, if you love to sin and you can, and you're disregarding God, check yourself. Remember, God loves you. He gave His Son for you, for goodness sake. He gave the most precious thing in His sight, and that was His Son. That's how much He loves you. So if you're hanging on the fence and you don't know, oh, well, I like sin, but I don't know if I can serve God. Oh, I, I, I like sin a little bit better. If you're hanging on that fence, please jump over to the other side and get right with God and be right with God so that in that day, He can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come into the joy of the Lord. But if you're choosing the sin, Man, may God, may God just be willing to take you when you come back. Or else He's just, he's just going to disregard you like He's doing with this tribe, with Judah right now. Moving on to verse 13. It says, Then I said, Ah, oh Lord God, behold! The prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword. No, shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. So here's Jeremiah, his heart again. But Lord, there's these prophets that are saying that you're going to give them peace. You're not going to give them famine or strike them with your sword or anything. Jeremiah is still fighting for these people. Jeremiah makes an excuse that the prophets are, are, are saying these... Things of assuring that they're going to have peace but watch in verse 14 and the Lord said to me the prophets prophesy lies in my name I have not sent them commanded them nor spoken to them they prophesy to you a false vision divination a worthless thing and a deceit of their heart these aren't prophets of God so these guys are coming saying, thus says the Lord, he's going to give you peace. And here's Jeremiah protecting the people. Yeah, these guys are saying, thus says the Lord, when he knows. Why? Because he's communing with God right now. He, his heart is just into Judah. He's just trying to protect them still. say he loves these people. But guess what it says in... Verse 15, how God responds to that. Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name. So, watch what watch how the Lord responds to how these prophets are saying, thus says the Lord, that the Lord is telling us to say this to you guys, that he's going to bring peace. says, halfway in 15, Whom I did not send, and who say... Sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. It's so, you need to be careful when you're saying, Thus says the Lord. Meaning, when you are saying, God is telling you to say this, or do that. You need to be careful. Because if you are saying this, and you misrepresented God, or it's not of God, you're just going to be like these prophets. Remember, they said, hey, the Lord's not going to give you famine, nor strike you with the sword. But what happens? What they just reap there, God is going to sow it to them. Now they're going to experience the famine, and be struck with the sword. So before, before, You go about saying, oh, God told me to say this to you. Or, oh, oh, the Lord just said this right now to me, so I wanted to share it with you guys. Before you even think about it and start talking, discern that voice. Make sure it's from God. Because if it's not, you're in deep, deep trouble. Because you're not going to be representing Him correctly. In verse uh, 16, And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem. Because of the famine and the sword, they will have no one to bury them, them nor their wives, their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour their wickedness upon them. You see that? Because the tribe of Judah was like, Oh, yeah, these guys said, and they were agreeing, even though they knew they were in sin. And they're just acting like God's not a big deal, that whatever Jeremiah is saying is not a big deal. So they're acting like, oh, everything they're doing is okay, and that God's going to bring them peace. What happens? They are going to sow the same consequences as these lying prophets as well. So, hey, if someone's telling you, oh, yeah, you can sin. Oh, you can go out and have sex with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Oh, you can go steal. Oh, you can go murder. You can go do all these things. And you, yourself, oh yeah, I can. I can because this pro- this guy told me that the word from God is that. And I do that already. And so, hey, it's not sin. I can go do that. Whoever participates in these lies will be consumed by God the same reason and way the tribe of Judah is being consumed because of these false prophets verse 17 therefore you shall say this word to them here's God speaking again let my eyes flow with tears oh no this is Jeremiah speaking excuse me let my eyes flow with tears night and day and let them not cease for the virgin daughter of my people has been broken with a mighty stroke with a very severe blow. Here's Jeremiah weeping. He's weeping again. In verse 9 it describes Jeremiah weeping like this, verse 1 and verse in chapter 9. Oh my head were Oh, oh that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He's pretty much saying that his head is filled with water, and that he's just going to be bawling day and night. It's not going to stop. Jeremiah had a heart for these people. And when it talks about here, when you see the word, or when you see him saying, for the virgin daughter of my people has been broken with a mighty stroke. Okay, the virgin daughter. You guys are probably wondering who's the virgin daughter? What's the virgin daughter? What does this mean? Well, the virgin daughter is Judah. Okay? Virgin daughters here represent Judah because they never because they have never before been under foreign bondage. They've always been right with God. They've always, been cl- they've always been pure before God. Our Jesus came from this tribe. And so they've always been right with God. And that's why they are represented as the virgin daughters. But yet, here's the virgin daughters going out and partying. And giving themselves and for- fornicating. Fornicating. And that's why Jeremiah is so bummed. Again, I, I, like, if, if I had a daughter that went out and partied and went and fornicate and just did her own thing, I would be so heartbroken and so sad. I really would. And that's why I can feel Jeremiah here just really bummed and saddened because he knew that this tribe, they've been good. They've been good for a very long time. But yet... During this time of prophecy and judgment, they go about their own ways. And that's why they're just so crushed. They're saddened by this. And hey, guys, we're going to have kids one day. Ladies, you're going to have kids one day. And And when, man, when we see our kids go astray and just give themselves to the world we're going to experience the same thing that Jeremiah is experiencing. I, I, I think if, I, if that ever happened to either male or female, any kid of mine, I would be so devastated. Because as a parent, one of these days for me, I'm not a parent yet, the role of a parent is to protect our child, to raise them up in the ways of the Lord, to show them what's good and what's bad to give them godly influences. But when they go and they turn from everything you've bestowed upon them and everything you've taught them and the protection and the care, when they go and they rebel and go the other way, it's going to be heartbroken. It's almost like the investor dumping all his money into Microsoft and then Microsoft takes a crash and they lose all their money. They're so bummed. I would, if I had if I had like a hundred thousand dollars and I invested in this main thing and and it crashed and all my money was gone. I would be so bummed. I would probably be like Jeremiah, crying day and night. It would suck because there goes my life. There goes my my earnings in my life that I've that I've protected and I've you know, kept there and w- waiting to invest and there it just goes. And in the same sense, your children, the one that you protected and you're caring for, and when they go, you're going to be bummed. And that's how Jeremiah, Jeremiah's heart is right now. Just really saddened. And in verse 18, If I go out to the field, then behold, those slain with the sword, and if I enter the city... Then behold, those sticks, those stick from famine. Yes, both prophet and priests go about in a land they do not know. Now here in the land that they do not know, this is prophecy saying that these people, the Israelites here, this tribe, they're going to go into Babylon, which we will see a few, cha- a few books away. So they're going to go into pretty much captivity for a very long time. Moving on to verse 19. Now, from 19 to 22, this is the people crying for God's mercy. This is going to show you their hearts, their expressions, everything. They're inside out. So read with me. Have you utterly rejected Judah? That's them talking to God. Have you rejected us, God? Has your soul loathed Zion? Why have you struck why have you stricken us so that there is no healing for us? Why have you cast this famine? Why have you done all these things that we can't even get out of? Why have you done that for? We looked for peace, but there was no good. And for the time of healing, and there was trouble. We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness. And here they go. Same old, same old Israel. Oh, we acknowledge our iniquities. We've done this a million times and we still do the every, every single thing the opposite way. Here they go. It's, it's the same routine. In our iniquities of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Don't you see that? It's, that's, isn't that so familiar throughout the whole scriptures in the Old Testament? Oh, well... Yeah, our fathers sinned, so that's why we sinned. So they're blaming the generations that were before them. You see this in Scripture all the time. Verse 21 Do not abhor us for your name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. Here's the people. Oh, Remember your throne of glory? You can't disgrace that because you're God and we're your people. So you can't do this, this, this act for, uh, upon us. You can't do that because we're your people. Remember that, God? And then it goes on. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. Remember, you made a covenant with us. that, that Those of us that are your people, we, we circumcised. To let everyone know on the face of the earth that we're your people. Remember that covenant? You can't break that covenant. You see these excuses that the people, they're trying to remind God of who He is. Sometimes in our life, we do that too. We try to remind God of who He is. Or we speak for God. God knows who He is. We don't even know a glimpse of God. So why should we even say these nonsense things for we don't even, we, we, we've never even seen God. All we can do is just have faith knowing that there is God, which there is, by the way. Don't get me wrong, there is. And that faith is worth so much more to God. But here, the tribe of Judas just reminding God of who he is. So, remember, do not break your covenant with us. Verse 22, are there any among the idols of the nations that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? So here, again, there's, they're speaking great things of God. Oh, there's no one else on the face of the earth that can give rain. And that can do this or that. But here... The other half says, therefore, we will wait for you. That's the attitude right there we should have, since you have made all these. So after the tribe of Jesus just going off, oh, don't you remember you're this kind of God and that you can do this and that? But then in the end of that verse, 22, but you have made all these and we will wait for you. So, there's almost like a changing point, but not really. It's kind of like, you know, you know when you do something wrong and you know that it's wrong and you shouldn't do it, but you do it anyways, that's what they're experiencing right now. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, when you know, for instance, oh man... I can't share this with that person because it was a secret. But I'll tell you anyways. But even though it's wrong, but but I really need to get it out of my system or else I'm just going to boil up and get all bubbly. So you know that it's wrong. And you want to do right, but you don't. And that's what Judah is all mixed up in right now. And so, for us, man, let's not be like these people who are just sinning away. They love to sin. They don't care about God. Let us not be that, ki- that type of people. Because if you're going to be that type of people, then you're going to reap a lot more than what, 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 what can be imaginable. You're going to reap a lot. You're going to sow a lot. Just remember, the more you sin is the further you're getting away from God. And the further you're getting away from God is the more your heart turns away from God. But if you're actually passionate about God and you're saying, man, once you sin and you're just so bummed out about it, man, repentance has taken over your life. If you can understand and know that that was sin, then you're okay. But if you're in that sinful nature and you're just like, oh, man, what, it was kind of good, but hey, what the hey, let's go for it again. Be careful because your heart is going to get hardened. And I've seen this happen to many of my friends. It's a sad thing. Guys that once walked with God, they were counselors at the high school camp. They did so much for ministry And once they started taking a grip of sin and and feeding themselves with sin to the point where they just come to church just to go to church. They don't bring their Bibles anymore. Let alone do they want to read their Bibles? Then it gets handed over. Then they start getting sucked into sin. And that's where they are now, today, even today. And it bums me out. Because these guys used to love God so much, but now they can give a rip for God. So, I know we got done super early, and that was pretty much um, what I intended. Because I want to give you guys pretty much the solution of how not to be this type of people. I want to give you that, just the just a, pretty much what I've been uh, storing in my life, what I've been doing for, my, for myself in general. How I've been intimate with God. And if I, and if I said, hey, I, I, I know how to be intimate with God. How many of you would like to be intimate with God if I can share it with you? How many of you guys would raise your hand and say, man, I want to be intimate with God? Five of you? Wow just kidding. (laughs) This is, I know this is a people that loves God. I'm just messing. But I've been doing this for the past about three months or, or not three months, three weeks, close to a month, just a daily routine that really drew, it definitely drew me closer to God. And really, I guess I found more joy in it. Just, man, my bitterness has definitely gone away. Like, I used to be so bitter. Like, if you wrong me, like, I will hold a grudge till the end, till the day I die. But man, God has broken me of that. He's set me free from just so much. And I don't know if it's going to affect you or it's going to help you, but it helped me to not be like these people. And it's found in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 says this, That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being confirmed to his death. The main part I want you guys to focus on is in the fellowship of his sufferings. That's it. Underline that part. The fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. What's fellowship? It's when you're communing with one, a- one another, you're hanging out. Now, suffering is pretty much going, th- going through something bad. You know? Like when you stub your toe. Ow! Oh, suffering! Suffering! When you're, when you're nailing something to the wall, ladies, I know you guys love to do decorating things and putting, you know, posters here and there. But I don't know if you l- use a hammer or not, but, you know, when you psh, suffering, thumb hurts, that's suffering. So here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, to know Christ or to fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. To know Him in the time that He was being whipped. In the time that He was being nailed to the cross. In His sufferings. And I want to paint a picture because I'm a visual person. Like seriously. If, if, if someone, or if I was going to look up a scripture... And I knew where it's at, but I don't remember the verse or the chapter or whatever. I can, I can flip through my Bible and know exactly where it's at because I've pinpointed it on my in my head to where it's located. Maybe I have a little highlighter mark here or something written or a little smiley face. I'm a visual person, so I want to paint, sh- paint you a picture. So if you guys would take this journey with me and close your eyes... Seriously, close your eyes. And I'm going to have my eyes open, so you better have, get your eyes closed. I'm going to be on and off. But close your eyes. Let me take you to this place. Now, we are supposed to have fellowship, Christ, knowing Christ in His suffering. fellowshipping with Christ in His sufferings, right? A lot of us has, have watched... The Passion two weeks ago. I've been implementing this before that. Now imagine that very first scene of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on his knees. He's praying to the Father. Now what I want you to do is put yourself right next to him. Imagine yourself being right next to our Savior, Jesus Christ. You're kneeling down right beside Him. And you look, you turn to the left as He turns to the right. And you lock eyes with Him. You're experiencing fellowship with Him. You're experiencing it so much that you don't need to talk to Him. You don't need to even speak words with him because you're having fellowship with him during this time. You are like-minded right now. You don't need to. You don't need to say anything to Jesus. You are experiencing the same troubles he is. He is having right now. He's sweating great drops of blood, knowing what he needs to go and do and accomplish. Likewise, you will be doing the same thing. You are experiencing. The sufferings of Christ. Now, as he, the next scene is, now he is being taken over to get whipped. That's the next scene. Remember, he puts his, his hands that were cuffed up onto that stone tablet, on that stone table. You're right next to him. There's a stone table waiting for you to put your wrist, your hands on that table. And as he is being whipped, you are being whipped too. But you turn to each other and you lock eyes with one another. You are experiencing the sufferings of Christ. You don't need to say anything. You understand. You know what he's going through. Because you are going through the same exact Thing. Now fast forward to the very end where the cross is laid down and he gets on his cross and so do you. And as the Roman soldiers takes that nail and, and plays with it on his hand getting ready to nail it he's, they're doing the same thing to you. And as that hammer goes and hits the nail piercing the hand of our Savior, the same nail is being pierced through your hands. And you look to the left as He looks to the right. You don't need to say anything because you're experiencing what He is experiencing. You lock eyes. You know what, each, what one another is going through. You know what He's going through because you're going through it. That is having fellowship with Christ in His sufferings. You can open your eyes. You see how powerful that is? It's like if I took a friend, let's say I took Jeremy, and we went on a road trip all the way to New York and back, we're experiencing one another's presence. We're hanging out. We know what this whole... What, the whole time that we're experiencing we know how each other are feeling how we are feeling about each other and how and what we're experiencing in that time and in the same sense likewise if we can do that with our savior as he endures the sufferings we will know what he experienced and what he's going through in order to rejuvenate us to n- make us not want to sin to make us fall more intimate and in love with God. That was the purpose of this whole devotion at the end of, the, of 14. That I wanted to give you guys. It's an intimacy that no one can take away nor be involved but you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus. It's so powerful every time. Uh, man, I get, so, I get so teary-eyed when I'm working and I'm, and I'm just doing my own thing at work and I'm thinking about what Jesus is, is experiencing and how I'm experiencing it. And right when I lock my eyes to Him, it's over for me. I don't need to say another word. Remember, He was the lamb that was slaughtered that did not say one word. And likewise, me too. I don't need to say one thing about God or conversating with Him in that suffering. Because I know what He's experiencing. Though we don't know, though we're not experiencing this physically, but you can experience it mentally. And that's where I wanted to take you. And I pray and hope that it would, it would change your mind. It would help you fall more in love and more intimate with God. That next time when a sin or temptation comes, you're saying, no way. No way, because I experienced what my Savior experienced. That the next time you pray and you go before God, you're going to be more grateful, more thankful, more joyful because of what He endured for you because you're in... You experienced the endowment that he endured. Does this make sense? I hope it makes sense to you. Because man, if 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 we if we've never had the knowledge of this of what Christ went through, we would just look at Christ as oh, he died for he died for our, he died so that we can have salvation. If we never knew the picture, if we've never if we've never heard the details of what they did to him, we would just see Jesus Christ as another human being. But praise God that He's given us the details of His endurement. Because now we get to experience it with Him. And we get to put ourselves next to Him and see what He's gone through for us. And we can be more grateful. To those around us, we can be more loving to our brothers and sisters. We can have a heart like Jeremiah that weeps for the people, doing everything he can to protect them. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He did everything he can to protect us. And he did that by sending his son. And so, let's not be like this tribe. Let's, let's not be like Judah, where we're lukewarm. Oh, we love to sin. We can give a rip about you, God. Let's not be that. Let's be the people that have intimate, uh, an intimate relationship with God, that will commune with God, that ha- will have fellowship with God. Really, this changed my whole life. It really did change my whole life. I can honestly say I am not bitter towards anyone. I was bitter towards a lot of people too. But that's been broken. It's been banned. Because of what Christ has done for me. And how I've experienced that. So when you go home tonight. And you pray. I hope it affects your prayer life. I hope it makes you more intimate with God. I hope when you pray, you pray with sincerity in your heart. Man, Lord, you went through that for me. I experienced that. I know that. I pray that you pray with more diligence, specific, and with a grateful mind and heart and attitude. Because, man... He defeated the grave. He really did. And we get to we get to go to heaven, guys, because of that. How awesome is that? How glorious is that? So praise the Father. I love this song that Chris Tomlin's always well, it's on his new record but it says praise praise the Father, praise the Son, and praise the Spirit, 3 in 1. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. Oh, praise Him. That's all I can say. So pray with me. Father, I'm so thankful that you would go through that torture for me. I'm so thankful that you made a way for me to get to you. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you've given us the details of your life that we can experience what you experience to be more intimate with you. And Father, I'm so grateful that you are holy and that you're just and that you're righteous and that you would never leave nor forsake us and that you you always have our back, Lord. You're here to protect us and to lead and guide us. And I feel so bad for the world, Lord. But I know that you know what you're doing. And so I'm grateful and thankful that I get to be a part of your kingdom, a part of your family, and a part of everything you've given and bestowed upon me. And I'm thankful for my friends in this room. I pray that you would help them to know you intimately, that when they go home tonight, that their attitudes of prayer would change. Father, that they would see you for the loving, the just God, the God of their lives, the God that loves. I pray, Father, that they would fall more in love with you. You tell us in Psalms to be still and know your God, and that's what we want to do tonight. We want to just be still and know that you're God. So, Lord, please have your way amongst my friends here amongst this people. And I pray, Father, that you would bless each one here. God, you would show them new and different things about you. And God, that they would never turn away from your word, nor from you, or from your grace or mercy, or from your love that you give to them each and every single day. So, Father, please go before us, protect us, lead and guide us, and help us to spend great quality time with you tonight in Jesus name. Amen.